Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word on the Street in RC and OML podcast. Uh, I, of course, am Anissa, your, one of your lovely hosts. And uh, Omar today is not in with us. Omar couldn't be here. He had some other stuff. Of course, he's a busy, busy student, so got other things going on. Um, but that is okay because I'm joined by some lovely guests uh, who I will now turn to them to share themselves. Go ahead and whoever wants to share first. Just- I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I'm Valeria Rojas. I use she, her, hers, or they and those pronouns. I am one of the student inclusion educators in the Rainbow Resource Center, and I am a senior studying neuroscience and public health, and I am so excited to do this podcast today. So thank you. <laughs> of course, we're so excited for you to be here. Hi. Hello, uh, my name is Shada. I am a student in the MFT track of the Counseling Psychology Masters. I use they, she pronouns. I'm Corey. I'm also in the MFT program uh, and I use they, them pronouns. Hello, um, I'm Alex. I use he, they pronouns. And I've recently changed from just the Masters in Counseling to the Master's in Counseling Psychology program here. And I'm also the Graduate Student Association Vice President. All right, thank you all for introducing yourselves and also for all being here. I know it's, we talked about a little bit earlier, it's early for especially the grad students. All of our classes are at night. (laughs) But um, I, I, once again, wanna thank you all for being here. Uh, so as mentioned, and as you could tell by us sharing our pronouns, possibly and other than when we normally do it, um, today's episode is going to be about gender identity and gender expression, uh, which is why our lovely guests are here to talk about their experience and also answer some questions that we had from viewers and uh, reacting to viewers' stories that have come in. So now I would like to turn it to the guests and whoever can talk how comfortable you are sharing your story. Uh, when did you know? How did the buildup get there? What uh, gender identity do you actually feel comfortable with? Like what, if you had to say what pride flag you had, what what would it be? Like those sort of things. You don't have to answer all of them, just those are the questions that have come to mind. Uh, I can start on that. I have... Uh, I think I came out to myself uh, explicitly as uh, as a gender um, when I was maybe 22, 23, um, which was seven years ago, seven or eight years ago now. Um, but I had always had a loose connection at best to maleness um it didn't bother me i'm fortunate not to have any gender dysphoria um but it didn't it didn't feel inherently mine either it didn't feel like the the stories being told about what masculinity was and meant and what what the existence of my body implied socially about me uh, like any of that was inherently true or mine, um, it was just like 
I've described it as if when you leave, uh, when you like enter or leave a room, someone's like, oh yeah, that person who, uh, that person who loves bananas and you don't actually like bananas, but they refer to you that way constantly, every time they refer to you. And you're just like, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Like it's bananas, I don't care. Um, but it just happens all over the, t the place. And you're just like, all right, this is just what I'm used to, I suppose. And then I found a group of people uh, in Philadelphia when I moved there. Um, and one of them in particular, uh, just by default referred to everyone with they, them pronouns, which I think is great. I think is probably how we should be defaulting to referring to people until we know otherwise. <laughs> Um, and I, and most people corrected them, uh, to whatever their preferred pronouns were. I just never did. And was like, wait, this is just, I'm being referred to. <laughs> I'm not being referred to as the one who likes bananas anymore. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I was vaguely familiar with gender uh, diversity at that point in the abstract, but I started thinking about it in the more concrete and thinking, oh, this is something I can actually do instead of just intellectually be curious about and find value in abstractly. I can find value in this very concretely. Um, and philosophically, I was already, I think, leaning towards sort of a gender abolitionist standpoint of like, well, what is gender doing for us anyway? Um, some people like it, but can't we have people embrace it personally rather than have it prescriptively put on us? Um, why can't we build our own gender or none if we choose? I, I choose none. I see gender as a game that many people like to play and I'm not one of them. I don't like to play that game. Thank you so much for sharing that, Corey. I think the idea is the banana analogy is or metaphor it works perfectly for that like it's weird to say that that but that was beautiful to me that like it, it like grounded the whole perception of being referred to as something and I just thought that was amazing I can go next so when I was growing up um gender and roles and like the two boxes was very weird to me and I didn't super get it. Like, I remember in elementary school, it felt like there was a lot of imposition of it, like very much so of like, if you do, if you sit with the girls, you have to do these activities. And if you sit with boys, you have to do these activities. I personally liked the boy activities, um, but I would kind of hang out with both groups. And I was like, this is super, the segregation is really weird to me. And I remember being confusing when I grew up, like I, I hung out with the boys, more people would call me like, oh, you're a boy, I also had really short hair. And then I was like, no, that's not right. And then people would call me a girl and I'd be like, well, I mean, I guess it was definitely not, no, that's not right. But it was like, okay, I guess. So I definitely didn't feel like binary trans. Like it was like, I'm not a boy, but what's a girl? It was kind of my whole experience, but I didn't really have any language or anything. I have this moment. It was actually from Corey here. It was in 200, Corey coming out to me and being like, hello, I'm Corey. I use they, them pronouns. And something in my brain exploded. I was like, that's an option. That's a thing that you can do. 
And um, it still took a little bit because I was like, oh, am I allowed to? Is that okay? All of the back and forth, like queer, I, I've had lots of experiences with queer enough in different domains and gender was one of them. But like with some reflection, it was like, oh wait, I do experience, the thing, the feeling of wrongness, the feeling, it has a name, it's gender dysphoria. Like I was experiencing it, but just didn't have the language. And then I was like, all right, I feel comfortable owning this label. And for labels, I think non-binary is my favorite because I don't really, there's nothing that feels concrete or specific. So I like it in that it's a negation. It's, I'm not that, which allows for a lot of possibility, a lot of openness and space for what I am. That I'm still kind of discovering because it went from more feeling a lot of dysphoria being gendered or perceived but now 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 I'm quite a fan of gender kind of as Corey said where they're like some people like to play the game and some people don't and they don't I like it I see gender as a performance it's a fun game for me it's arbitrary but it's fun and I really I personally love he him pronouns just because when someone does it I was like it just, it, it gives me gender euphoria, not because I feel like a man, but because, but because that's a thing that has, I think, been denied to me. Like, people are like, look at me and don't want to call me he, him, or even they, them. So I get a lot of euphoria when people, I think, I feel seen, I feel accepted, and I also feel like, oh, that's fun, that's exciting, like, I love that, that's novel for me. So gender is a performance, but also, what is it? What is it? I don't know. The only reason anyone should do gender is because it's fun and they enjoy it. Or really, they should do anything. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Shada. And just the, because I think a lot of uh, confusion outside of the queer community and even possibly in the queer community is with that labeling aspect, like what's right, what's wrong. And it just, it, it fully depends on who on who you are as a person and how you come to understand. And I think that's beautiful. And also gender as a performance thing. It is a construct. So for example, I, I do use she, her pronouns, but I have been like questioning within the last few years because I I don't like I, I identify as a woman. I I enjoy, I'm proud to be, especially of a mixed heritage. I am proud to be a woman of color. And I think that's where a lot of my she, her stems from. But using they, them pronouns would not bug me if somebody used that. Like, I, I think there's a lot of confusion on my end. And then going back to the gender dysphoria that you brought up with you having short hair. This is the longest my hair has ever been. I had my hair short from in third grade. I My mom dropped me off at the salon. And I told and I told the stylist, I want a pixie cut. And at that point, my my hair was all the way down to my butt, super long, curly, and she buzzed it right off. And my mom came in and cried. She's like, what did you do? And I was just like, I like Tinkerbell. It was a pixie cut. It sounded cool. Like, but then immediately the day after, um, my school uh my elementary school, they had at lunch, had the girls sit on one side and the boys sit on the other side. And I sat on the girl side because like, that's where I go. And one of the boys came over and tapped me. He was like, hey man, you're supposed to be over here. And I remember just like having like that shock, like, no, I, I'm a girl with short hair. I, what? And so then that kind of 
that also led into my mom and dad like they just they're very sarcastic people I love them to death but I told them about their that experience and their then like jokey way was to then call me Pablo until my hair grew back <laughs> so then they fed into that dysphoria and fed into that like and like we we laugh about it now but like as a kid I was like so upset because I so then I went to the whole other extreme where now every day I was wearing a skirt every day I was wearing pink every day I had a bow in my hair even though it was short because I fed into that like that category and so hearing you talk about that and like your own like story with that I really aligned with that even though I still use she her pronouns and like just that dysphoria but thank you again for sharing thank you for sharing back that's real I thank you it's yeah. really nice yeah uh I'm really struck by that story and I just like that there are there are kids out there for whom uh and situations where that that sort of reaction might have given them gender euphoria and that would have been uh, a meaningful moment for them but even if it had been gender euphoria at first the almost shaming angle of the of not not calling you pablo with as a as a like i don't know let's try this on but as a yeah you made this mistake and now and now we're gonna like poke you about it even if it is meant as loving fun like that can turn euphoria into dysphoria very quickly uh like shame shaming effectively is the root of dysphoria of all kinds i think Okay, I want to go next because I really resonated with what Corey said about like, I, I feel like because of my upbringing, like, I think of things in like, just like gender, like, I think like, oh, like, oh, that girl over there, or like, girl, don't worry about that. Or like, kind of just like, I want to like, degender my language, which is why I use they them pronouns, because I think like, the gender constructs are just like, there's no uses for them. But in my particular um, situation, I first came into my sexual identity first. Um, when I was younger, um, I did have like crushes on like girls and stuff, but I would never like consider it that. Like I was always just like, oh, they're my best friend. Or like, oh, like uh, I just like, I just like being around them. We just like play Barbies. Eh. But um, yeah, I was always just that. And I remember there was this one point where like I would like someone had called me a lesbian at school and I never knew what that meant. And I went home and looked it up and I was like, oh, so they're calling me that I was like in my I was like it kind of seems like it fits but I never like really put anything on it and then but I and I still like boys at the time and I started growing older and I started having like more crushes on girls and like more crushes on guys and I got to college or like just in high school in general I wasn't able to like really explore my sexuality because like my family is of an ethnic background and I got to college and I moved away and I got here and it kind of felt like that like sexual liberation or i was like at my own devices like i could like hook up with like girls hook up with guys like i it was like a completely different realm but i think it was also like damaging for me particularly because i feel like our i was in groups in which would ask me for like my like i guess label or like would want to put a label on it and i've always been the type where i'm like i don't know i kind of just like girls and guys like i don't really like know I think for me particularly, it seemed easier to identify as like bisexual because like at that time I was like, I mean, I like the pride, I like the colors. <laughs> it was like, it looks pretty in my room. But I, I think now like I'm coming into like, 
my own like sexual identity and also my gender identity. I think I would now consider myself more queer. Um, I think, I don't know, it includes the whole spectrum, the whole rainbow, the whole um, group of identities that are out there. And I think that is just how I identify to put a label on it. But in terms of my pronouns, um, I um, also resonate with what Corey said that I didn't really feel like a gender like dysphoria. Like it kind of just like happened from like one day to another where someone was, I had seen like on my Zoom that someone was using she, they pronouns. And I was like, what is that? And I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know you could like combine pronouns like that. Like, um, and this was like, I want to say like in the middle of the pandemic, like winter quarter, like a year ago, I want to say. And I had a lot of time to myself. So I like did a bunch of research and it felt like it was like that missing puzzle piece where I was like, I've always hated like when there were like gender roles in my house or when there were like, um, like girls would be like be made to do something, but like boys wouldn't. And like, I've always like hated that. And I started like to really like hate like the idea of being a girl. And it kind of just seemed like that like outlet. But I guess now that I've like started to use they, them pronouns, I also like what Shada had said, like I also am just like, I love being hyper feminine sometimes. I like painting my nails pink. I'm like, I love, I don't know, expressing femininity super just openly, but I also have started to like, I guess, become more comfortable myself and just like being more reserved and like not exactly like playing too much into femininity, but also not playing too much into masculinity. And like, I don't know, I think I've found like a good medium where I would still consider myself like femme presenting, but I think I am, I don't know, there's definitely like something there. I haven't really put a like, like a finger on it or like anything, but I definitely think that like, I don't know, I think moving toward an a gender society and just not having like the essence of gender would just be the best for like I don't know I think like a no cultural context is where like you don't really have to like be assigned a certain role or anything like that so yeah thank you so much for sharing that Valeria and talking about your story and also the perspective of coming from an ethnic background because that does weigh heavily in uh how you view the world and how you think the world views you as well and so just thank you for sharing your your journey through your sexuality as well as your gender identity Alrighty, well i wanted to go last because i wanted to think about the words that i wanted to say around this because for me my gender identity and my use of pronouns has been a recent shift. I don't know if Cheda and Corey noticed that I, I used to use just he, him pronouns and I'd put that on my Zoom tile kind of thing. Um, but now I've transitioned to using he, they pronouns. Um, and currently that, that feels what fits right to me in this time. Um, it's interesting because I have a little, I have a little, I, I, I guess I'll call it trauma <laughs> with uh, talking to a friend who I thought I could have this conversation with. And I wasn't, I didn't, it, it's not that they were like unsupportive or anything. It's just that I had this imagination of, oh, I'm going to tell them I'm going through this experience and they're going to be super supportive. And I didn't get that support. And so I sort of like turtled back in a little bit about it. And like, it's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation I'm having right now. Because with gender, like, 
like Corey, I've always like appreciated this abstract idea of like gender is just a construction, but it's it hasn't quite gotten to that concrete for me at this point, and it, I haven't integrated it into my understanding of myself and my gender. Um, and like, I don't know, the, the parts I want to touch upon is like, I, I, I absolutely disagree with the gender construct. I absolutely think it should be abolished as well. But at the same time, I also recognize the privilege that I've gotten as, identi as identifying as a male in the society. And so I'm, I'm currently wrestling with that. Um, and yeah, I, so just very, very recent developments for me. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, Alex, I, I'd love to add a little bit to that bit you said at the end there about um, the privilege that uh, you and I both experience uh, by presenting in the way that we do. Um, I haven't changed, for example, I haven't changed my presentation all that much um, in the years since coming out to myself or anyone. Um, and I, that means that I walk into a room and people look at me and see a white guy and give me the, uh, the like automatic deference that white guys are given for no reason in this society. Um, and I have my own, you know, sort of process for understanding that. And I try to just use it um, to privilege voices and ideas that otherwise wouldn't be. I, I find it a, I, I often feel like I'm getting, getting away with something by speaking about, uh, you know, social constructionism with this face. <laughs> um, and it doesn't give me dysphoria, uh, fortunately, as I said, to sort of leverage the privilege that I'm given to try to dismantle privilege entirely. Um, but also there are almost certainly times that I don't end up seeing where I just end up being given space, receiving space, and someone else didn't because I look like this because I have certain genitalia. Um, and I suspect that that, that is, I mean, the, the statistics, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I would be shocked if it's anything other than that uh, people who are assigned female at birth go by they then pronouns at a much larger rate than people who are assigned male at birth right now. Um, and I think a large part of that has to do with privilege. I think a large part of that has to do with um, people feeling super comfortable with their privilege and not uh, and wondering what what giving that up might look like wondering if um if people will look at you weird where they once looked at you um with like uh, a sort of privileged gaze of uh oh yeah you're 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 the strong one you're the you're the one who's probably right about things uh just for no good reason um it's something that I think about regularly when I, especially as I'm inter, uh, interacting with a new person or a new space, I try to assess how much I think I'm being 
uh, like how much I'm being privileged unnecessarily, how I can interact with, uh, how how open I can be with uh, my gen with my gender or lack thereof is of course a thing that I'm already assessing because there are spaces where it's just not going to happen, where it's just not going to be uh, viable to discuss. And I've been able to create more and more of the spaces where it is viable to discuss, which is uh, which I feel really, really good about my history of. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit, but I, where I think I'm going is, yeah, male privilege is weird. Um, especially when you're experiencing it at the same time as you're trying to constantly tell the world, no, stop giving that to me. <laughs> um, and I derive a lot of pleasure from that process, but I think a lot of people are either afraid that that process will lose them respect or lose them something they need um, and aren't excited to push for gender abolition and social constructionism and such. Uh, where I am, I'm all philosophy, all constructs all the way down. So um, I don't know, that's me. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, Corey. Yeah, you, you definitely voiced a lot of my thoughts around the process of privilege. And, you know, like part of it for me, at least, is like this feeling of like, this is not familiar. This is uncharted territory. And so like, I'm still exploring it and still figuring things out and feeling what fits and it's a day-to-day -day process and it's ongoing. <laughs> Alex, I'd like to echo just the one, just everybody here as well, but for someone who's still in that mode of questioning and transitioning into like using different pronouns and things like that, I want to thank you for being like able to share because that's a big thing, especially you're announcing this on a podcast on that many people will listen to. And it's just, and somewhere out there, someone, even me in this room, I talked about, I don't, I am also in the middle of questioning, but just hearing someone go through the steps and like also seeing where everybody is in those steps and their, their voices, their opinions, it's very provoking in the most positive way uh, for people who are going with that journey. And which is why if everyone's comfortable, I would like to shift into maybe talking about people's stories or questions. These questions come from our viewers. Uh, I had set up a specific form for people to fill out specifically for this episode and either share their stories or share their questions and share their name and uh, pronouns that they're currently using uh, as well as much as they feel comfortable. So I have two questions here. Uh, the first one comes from Rachel using she, her pronouns, uh, and it states, how does one come to form or understand their own gender identity? I'm almost 20 years old and, I'm, and I've am i not asked myself what gender identity is until relatively recently. I've always just assumed I'm a girl because that's what I am, but have never understood uh, that makes what makes that valid. Like I was a sportier kid growing up and they used to call me a tomboy. And, it, and until recently that hadn't started uh, makeup things and might be more traditionally considered feminine, but had never held an attachment to identity as a girl. Now that I ask myself uh, 
these things, I'm not sure to, how to respond because I generally do not know how to define my gender identity and what it looks like in any other way other than a girl because that's all I know. I think we kind of touched on this before, but if anyone wants to answer Rachel's question and uh, validate her in any way, please go ahead. Uh, I, I'll always have something to say. I, I have lots of opinions and I have a lot of compassion for, uh, for Rachel's story there. I think so many people are in that boat. I think so many people are... Uh, looking at their experiences uh and saying like yeah i mean this 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 fits this is fine does that that means i can't like appropriate this right but the thing that i think people don't hear uh, enough when i hear that kind of talking point is that is that difference between sex and gender uh, Rachel said, I'm a, uh, because I am one. Well, that's up to you, man. Like, it's entirely up to you and whoever you let tell you what you are. Um, the difference between sex and gender is sex is the biology in your body, but gender is the words and the performance and the labels and the uh understanding that you have inside of you um there are feminine guys out there there are feminine uh non-binary people out there there are uh i i think the representation for the non-binary community is rapidly increasing, but it's still unbearably small. And I, I, I think that over the next few years, people are going to see more and more, uh, not just you know celebrities and such, but really within their communities, they're going to see you know, people like us on this panel who look all sorts of ways. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that you could present that way. I think presentation is so much of what gender is. Under, uh, and understanding how much control you have over your presentation. And the problem with gender uh, as a social thing is this moment where other people, where you, you're in systems, you're in communities that tell you your gender. And only you can tell your gender. You can be as feminine as you like and be like, yeah, but I, I don't want to be stuck in this box forever. Or you can be feminine and say, I love the label of, woman, of womanhood. I love that. I'm going to embrace it because I like it. The only reason to embrace a gender is because you like it. You can do that or you cannot, and it can change from day to day. You can try it on and be uncertain. That's fine too. Um, all of the questions you're asking yourself, Rachel, are real. And every word in the English language was invented at some point. And it was invented to be useful. And if it's not useful to you, find people who will let it be not useful to you. I'd love to add on to that of just 
the very first question being like, how do you come to a gender identity? And I think recognize, I, I think really, I want to highlight the, you kind of get to choose and construct it. And that's also a process and you can try things on and be unsure. I've been in this for a while. And again, non-binary is the closest thing that fits because it says, no, I'm not that. But what I am, I'm still actively constructing and like it's a fluid process and it's moving around and I can still say I'm non-binary even though I'm not totally sure what exactly I am. And that it's it's more of a process than an endpoint. And you don't have to be at an, I don't even think you are, anyone is at an endpoint before they be like, yes, I am this, right? It's the coming out is the first step of exploration rather than I am confident I am this. I just love the way that you put it. But I think also like first things first, you are seen, you are heard. But I think like for me personally, like I have always been like, I'm a girl, like that's all. But I think like now that like I've started like question my gender identity or at least like explore that aspect of it. Like I've started to realize like being a girl is all I've ever known and all like society has ever like wanted me to be. Like I was born in a specific like biological sex. So now I have to continue and live as like societal standards have said it. But I mean, I think in our day and age, we're like, there's more and more exploration happening. There's more and more like progression occurring. Like I would say like, just see yourself however you want to see yourself. And I think, I don't know. I think sometimes like, it's like not anyone's business. Like if like you want to <laughs> like identify something else or like use certain pronouns, but feel a certain way. Like I think like, as long as like the people in your space respect you and love you and are giving you the support that you need like I think like screw what everyone else has to say <laughs> I very much empathize with what you're going through right now um and my thoughts in regards to it is like you know in order for you to at least so I come from like communication studies background for my undergrad and so words and diction and syntax have a lot of weight with me and so like having those words to to fit identities into is really important for me and that's what needed to start my exploration into this section of myself and so that's part of it. And that exposure is going to happen at different parts because, you know, we're not all exposed to these things where we grew up um, or where we've learned to perform these genders at this point. Um, and then uh, secondly, like I'm, I'm 30 and I'm going through this process myself. Don't ascribe to anyone else's timeline. Like, for me, at least, it is taking time and effort. And I've got midterms. I got other things to do. I'm going to do other things. And then, you know, gender and the thought process behind that, it doesn't have to take the forefront of my time all the time right now. I'm not experiencing that level of dysphoria, I suppose. Um, but just recognizing that it does take time and effort um, and that you shouldn't go on anyone else's timeline but your own. Thank you, Alex, and thank you, everybody else. I think two things. I One, I want to go back to the um, 
Actually, I'm going to go back the other way because I don't want to lose this thought. <laughs> With the timeline, there isn't a set precedent in time. Like you want time is also a construct. Uh, someone said what time it was one day. But um, you don't have to adhere by those rules. And you don't. And this also goes back to the other point of expression and, dis and discovery and, ex and exploration. Because I think where a lot of people get confused is that I have to know before I can say what I am or who I am. And that's not true. Things may change. You may find something that fits you better, that sounds better to you. Um, with my sexual identity, I identify as pansexual. Uh, but that was a long time of me knowing that I've had, I had crushes on some of my friends that were girls, crushes on some of my friends that were guys, crushes on random people. I didn't know their gender, but I was just like, you know what? You're kind of cute. I like you, but like, uh, I did not actually, people would tell me, like I had a friend, really good friend. Her name was Kayla. Um, she was one of the first, uh, not one of the first, but one of uh, the only people that I was around in my undergrad years who was openly and just full-heartedly, I'm bisexual, I own it, this is me, and I will look at her and I'm like, wow, you're amazing. And uh, not in a like, crushy way, I'm sorry, Kayla, I know you want me to be in love with you, and I know you're listening, <laughs> but uh, she would always come to me and be like, Anissa, you're bi, just admit it. And I'm like, and I would like, my face would get hot because I'm like, I know that that's kind of where I'm going, but that's not right, the right word. So I would deny it. I would be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. She's like, but she would look at me. <laughs> She's like, I know you are attracted to other women as well. And I was like, it's not about that though. It's, I'm attracted to people. It doesn't matter who, who they are, their background or who they, how they identify. I'm attracted to people. And finally, I, so going along that line, she started telling me that when I was like 20 years old. I finally came out at 22, right after I graduated undergrad. And I now identify as pansexual, but I'm also still in that exploration of gender identity and not knowing my pronouns and what I'm comfortable with. So I haven't, I am firm in my understanding now that I am pansexual, but I am not firm in my gender identity and I don't want to adhere to a label because someone tells me I have to have a label. And I think that's, you can go on as long as you wish and you'd never actually have to have a label. You can exist in the world as you are and you're, you're valid in everything that you do. See snaps all around. And uh, if anyone else has anything, <laughs> anything to add, uh, let me know. If not, I can move on to our next and final question. Okay. So the next question comes from Anonymous, and because it is Anonymous, I am going to use they, them pronouns. Uh, so the question is, can cisgendered individuals use they, them pronouns if they do not identify as non-binary? Why not? There's no rules. If you like them, use them. Absolutely. Words exist to be useful. They do not, it, as, as soon as they exist to put people in uh, rigid boxes, that is, uh, especially rigid boxes that you don't want to be in, 
then that's when we should start questioning the, use, the usability of those words and whether other words are, are better. For me, uh, gender abolition is a lot less about, I want everyone to be a gender. It's not that. For me, gender abolition is a political and philosophical framework that just says, all of these things are currently understood through narrow, through the through this narrow lens of gender and gender roles, and uh, even all of the labels that are produced to describe gender, including agender, are just adding more to an arbitrary stack. And you can take out the entire arbitrary stack of gendered constructs, and still have everything that humans like about gender afterwards. They just fall into different categories once gender is no longer holding a, a, an iron grip on them. You can use whatever words. I'll support you. I don't know you, but I'll support it. Yeah, there are no rules. Um, like I've previously said, like it's no one's business what pronouns you use or like what you choose to identify yourself as. Um, and I think, like for me personally, I started off using they them pronouns, like, and as like a cisgendered woman. And now that like I've started to like explore like more, I'm just like, well, now it's just like a little bit more flowy in the gender identity category. So I mean, like, yeah, if you also just like feel like that there is no use for gender, I think that's also just like a good way to just like invoke that into like your language and stuff like that, like using like they them pronouns to refer to just people in general. So yeah. So I've definitely, <laughs> going through this struggle again, of course, like when I was previously tossing and turning with the idea of using different, um, using different pronouns, it was along the lines of like, oh, like, okay, I don't, I don't believe in the gender binary. Therefore, how can I express that? Oh, I could do it in this way. Or I don't currently identify as something outside of my cisgender male identity, but I want to show allyship kind of thing. And I, I, want to, I want to say that there are lovely people like the people in this podcast who are going to be quite validating of whatever exploration you have, but there are going to be those people who are going to be gatekeeping, I feel. And they're going to say like, why are you using they, them pronouns when you identify as a cisgender man? Um, and that's going to be tough. <laughs> it's something that I've experienced and it was tough. Uh, but yeah, just like, thank you guys for the validation about like there there aren't many rules these the rules are all constructed kind of thing and so yeah just wrestling with all that still <laughs> i have something i'd like to add if i may uh i i think that Personal uh, experience and feelings about gender 
are uh, I mean they're they're so personal. I, I I tend to think of it as if there are, is such a thing as gender, then there are as many genders as there are people. Um, so when people identify as cisgender, I often want to ask them, what does that mean anyway? Like, okay, you identify you're willing to use this language that we have, but if we had other language, what would like would you invent the gender norms that currently exist? Probably not. Um, I think that personal feelings about gender is it, that lives here. Um, but gender pronouns are kind of different than that, actually, in a way. Um, pronouns are just uh, something that the English language makes us use to refer to each other without using people's names. Um, and I have long thought that it's really useful to, uh, to think about a, uh, the hypothetical world where that conservatives would consider child abuse and that I dream of, which is that we refer to all children with they, them pronouns and don't like shove people who are born with vaginas into dresses and people who are born with penises into pants. Um, and when uh, and we ask the kids once they're old enough to uh, have any notion, to have you know proficiency with language, which uh, which if any uh, of the many available options they would prefer, um, and use they them pronouns in the meanwhile as a default until someone says otherwise. So in that case, we'd end up referring to a lot of people who would later identify as cisgender with they, them pronouns. I think that pronouns are, are a verbal relational component and not necessarily the same thing at all as personally held experience and feelings about gender, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And it kind of makes me think of, because I believe similarly, like I, if I would ever have kids, I don't want kids. But um, we've talked about uh, my mom, especially with the growing popularity and extravagant gender uh, reveal parties and things like that and buying into that. And my mom one day was like, what would you do if you were going to have a baby? And because she knows how I feel about those things. and. I was like, yeah, I would I'd call everybody to a party and then we'd bust it open and there'd just be question marks everywhere. <laughs> like I would not, I would not adhere. I'm like, I'm not gonna, or like a big banner that says, it's weird you want to know my kids' genitalia. Like that, that is not for me. That is not for you to know. And that is for them to uh come and decide later on and form who they are, which would send my very conservative family into a frenzy of anger but that almost makes me want to do it. If I ever have kids, but I want to stay. Family, if you're listening, I still don't want kids. <laughs> that is just, that's not for me. But um, yeah, if anybody else has anything to add. Okay, perfect. So then I'm going to go ahead and uh, share some viewer stories. This is from Chloe, she, her pronouns. Chloe says, I go by she, her, but for 
a while uh, now I've been experiencing uh, with how I present and with my gender identity in terms of how I dress and love to examine uh, with both femme and mask presentation. And go off, Chloe, proud of you. Just explore and experiment and just see how you're doing. Yeah, get it, Chloe. <laughs> Next one comes from Mac, they, them, theirs pronouns. Uh, I didn't explore my gender identity until I was confronted with it during the quarantine. For so long, I had joked that she, her pronouns didn't quite fit me, but that I didn't have time to think about my gender too deeply. Then I had months on end with more time than I'd ever had before. That exploration led me to the term gender fluid, which is sometimes, which is sometimes defined as gender identity changing based on the context. I like this term a lot because I don't feel set in any single gender identity. I learned that I like anonymity afforded by they, them, theirs pronouns, and I, know, and I now use them exclusively. I really encourage everyone to do some deeper exploration of their gender. If at, any, if at the end of the day you discover that you're cisgender, you're doing it on purpose, and that's the point. So much of gender is ascribed to other people onto their bodies if we explore and decide our own identity, we can exist on purpose with a larger structure. Yeah, I mean, I think gender identity coming to the fore as a result of quarantine and the pandemic makes a lot of sense and happened to a lot of people, myself included. I think in part because so much of like gender policing happens when you interact with other people. And if you are by yourself and you get that time to just exist in a space, you're like, wait, wait a minute. How, how much of this actually makes sense and applies to me and how much of it is arbitrary and you get to choose it. So I, I think that is a pretty, we will see in the coming years how common that experience was. I just wanna quickly add, I, I just love the phrase exist on purpose. I think a lot of people, so many people just live life not with no intentionality about it, uh, basing most of their actions and beliefs upon what people tell them to believe about themselves without actually checking with themselves. Um, I really value that. I really like the idea that like everyone should do some deeper exploration of the gender. And look, yeah, if you go through that exploration and you come out the other side and you're like, Cisgender man works for me. That that's what works for me. Good. You've got that stronger understanding and foundation for you. And just like bringing up uh, the context that some of us are in as grad students in the counseling psychology program, I think it it was really important um, when we took. I think it was. I can't remember the the psychology the psychotherapy with transgender non-binary clients with Ben. Um, ben Gilhefe, I think that's his pronunciation. Gilhefe. Gilhefe, oh, so, so, so wrong. Anyways, um, just the, the emphasis on like, if you just like, with our intake forms, just like, do you have any gender goals? Kind of thing. Just that one question was, like really eye-opening for me in the sense that like why doesn't like all intake forms have that 
kind of thing. Like everyone should have that question to explore as an option, regardless of where they are kind of thing. So. Yeah, putting that on forms. One, as we move into all of us that are in counseling psychology, whether we're therapists, counselors, or whatever route we go, I think that is something that we're going to heavily emphasize in our uh, in our forms and when we uh, ask people things. But a fun little story uh, that I saw this even in realms, because doing it in that way, it's a very academic, very like we're educated enough to understand those things. And we're and even in other areas where it's not an academic setting, it is so valuable to just see what are your pronouns? What would you like me to call you? Would you, if there's other people in the room? So uh how long ago was it? I think it was how old is this tattoo? About a year old. So about a year ago, me and my best friend, uh, to celebrate her graduating from undergrad, uh, went back to our undergrad which was CSUMB in Monterey and we decided to go get tattoos together and they're very cute I got a moon she got a sun I uh, we both have our birth flowers on them lavender and marigold it was just a super meaningful tattoo and we wanted to go to some place that one would be uh, affirming for my sexuality because I was very out and very proud and uh, I just wanted to make sure that we were safe there and especially for two women going there because sometimes tattoo shops can be a little, a little iffy. But when we're doing the intake form to sign in for our appointment, one of the questions was, what are your gender pronouns? Are you comfortable with other people hearing them? And what if other people are in the room, what would you like to be called? Just, it was just super, super safe. Just like those, seeing those in a place where I wasn't expecting to see it was just so, validating and so just it made me know that I was in a safe place and I think that's where we need to uh, allocate that to other places as well whether we're in an academic setting or just out in the world and just how affirming the, that language can be and just asking those questions so we have come to our last uh, little story from a viewer this is from John using he, him pronouns. Originally born and raised in Russia where being queer is prosecuted and in 2022 is illegal and unconstitutional. I struggled with my identity until my twenties. I couldn't understand if I'm a feminine guy or a masculine woman. I couldn't understand how do I identify myself until I learned that gender is a spectrum and not connected to sexuality. Uh, thank you, John. I. Uh... I think one of the many, many, many routes to viewing gender as a social construct and social constructionism in general is viewing the difference between cultures and how different cultures approach uh, any different any given topic. Because if if a topic exists in multiple cultures but is presented differently between them, that implies that there's room right? That implies that there's interpretations of the thing, and the thing may not even be needed. Um, and we're, uh, America 
does this thing where we export our our culture to so much of the rest of the world um but it operates on a time delay um i uh my my partner is originally from russia and uh they once described this to me as uh russia gets american culture but like 20 years late or something um and obviously i don't know how that's going to develop in russia itself um but i know that uh there are distinctions to the russian uh experience and expression of gender um just as there are distinctions to any individual's experience of gender um and your journey um through understanding gender, however that works for you, um, is going to be shaped strongly by the societies you interact with, by the communities you interact with, by the individual people you interact with. Um, and again, I think that's so hard for so many people to to real to look at to look at the air you're breathing and realize that it's air. You know, that it's not just nothing; it's air. To look at the culture you're in and realize this is a culture to look at the words you're using and realize these are con these these are these are mouth sounds to look at the behaviors you make and say i learned this somewhere um so i, I, I don't know i just love seeing every stage of people's exploration of themselves towards their towards the self that people will become when they have a choice. I love every step along the process. Yeah, I wanna to add to that of just how gender expression and gender identity can be so impacted if you come from multiple, you come from a different culture than the one you are currently living in, of just like, like my, my entire family is Persian and like how Persians perform their gender is quite different. And thus there was, interesting overlaps and gender roles always were kind of muddy for me because like it's men are peacocks in my culture like they're the ones who do all the skincare and like tape like are the ones who tend to take the most pictures whereas like it's like women are supposed to be modest and men are supposed to be like really flamboyant really out there really like really physically affectionate and just um and dance around and really theatrical and like almost like hyper honestly hyper femme in like american culture's standards so that definitely muddied the waters for me growing up but also kind of helped in a lot of ways it was nice to see how arbitrary and sometimes like really different like different cultures can come to what is man and what is woman that helps deconstruct it easier i think i really empathize with John because I feel like a lot of times like when you're like looking back I mean obviously like when you come from a different culture and you're now living in another one like looking back on that culture like you can start to feel almost some sort of like like a little twang in your heart because it kind of like makes you question like your identity even in like your like nationality or your ethnicity because like for me personally um like I think being Latinx has or Latine has brought me I would say a lot of like internal conflict because there are so many things that are still so backward in just like the culture in general like especially like with machismo and like homophobia like it's still so rampant in like all of latin america and 
it gives me a little twang because I'm like, I would like to feel proudly Latina, but it's like, I know that like, maybe like the identity of Latina isn't as accepting of me. And I don't know, I think you, you're so seen and you have a community of people who I'm sure feel exactly the same way about their own cultures as well. And yeah, I think like that first step is like reaching out and like finding that community and like being heard. So you have a community who holds you and values you. And yeah. Uh, thank you for bringing up homophobia. Uh, actually, my, my partner uh, brought up, uh, is listening and brought up a good point to me that uh, we're sort of skipping over the, the harshest reality that John brought up, which is, yeah, there are people who get who get murdered for uh, for being queer in Russia today, today. Um, and there's, that will affect how people feel about gender. <laughs> uh, and until that, in that terrorism that someone may have experienced, um, which has a lot less to do with any claims about gender or sexuality or anything per se than about power and control. But until those expressions of power and control are no longer what primarily affects one's thoughts about gender, about sexuality, about one's existence in the world, um, it's, it's gonna be so hard to, uh, to be able to have the, because it is a privilege, to be able to have the privilege of sitting back and saying, well, what do I want? For so many people in the world, what they want does not matter to their survival. Um, and what they want can get them killed. Um, one of the reasons I bring in so much politics talk uh, to my philosophy uh, and so much politics thought uh, talk to my therapy and so much politics talk is because these are political systems filled with power and violence. And if we are not activists, once we realize that we have the privilege to have these conversations, then we are on the side of the oppressors. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, both Valeria and John. That, I, I just want to follow up because that, that was the point that I really wanted to hone in on was this aspect of safety and the need to be safe to both express yourself and explore yourself kind of thing. Like if I didn't have this validating experience earlier with Anissa and y'all, like I might not have shown up to this podcast episode to share what my experience is because there's pain that comes with this exploration for me and I have to feel safe in order to to dip my toes in the water again and explore such a thing. And I have a hugely privileged uh, situation. In the sense, I live in California, live in Santa Cruz, 
we're we're an hour's drive from San Francisco, aka one of the queer meccas, as some people call it. Um, and that's very different from someone whose situation is living in Russia in the time in the current political times or in deep south USA. And so like I have to recognize that I have been given this privilege of the safety to explore my identity to the extent that I have. And then secondly, to the point that Corey brought up as well, like we're gonna be clinicians and therapists, but we also need to be advocates and activists because we need to not just create the safe spaces in therapy when we can hold that spot for them to explore things, but we need to help create safer spaces in general. Like, I'm sure a lot of us share that ideal world in the future that conservatives are scared of where <laughs> just everyone is they them at the start and we're just throwing gender out the window. But that's not how it is right now. Um, and yeah, the there's that saying that the personal is political and it's very true because the political has so much control and limitation on our lives and that can affect our sense of safety. So just recognizing my own privilege in that sense and recognizing your situation and what you're going through. To sort of summarize as we uh, start to close in on time and also just to John specifically and everybody else who has shared, you do not have to be out to be valid. If being out compromises your safety in any way, take the knowledge and know that no matter how out you are, no matter how, how much you can safely express, you are valid in who you are. And we hold these spaces, such as the RSC or just us on this podcast and, uh, and OML and all these different spaces, which of course are minute in this academic world that we're in, but nowhere to look for spaces. This is a very, like, not disheartening, but very just real real world view of what's going on in the world and how that affects and where you are in the world affects how safe you can be how out you can be in those sort of things um and it, it feels very weird to be like okay what do i have to promote now what are we doing but um i just want to, to first start off by saying thank you to everybody who has shared today thank you for all of our guests for coming in and just having this space to have a real discussion and share your own personal uh, identity and your journey through that, as well as all of our viewers who submitted stories and questions. This has been like one of the most like heartfelt, just like I feel like I'm doing something and it's being viewed by people and accepted and it's, it's sharing that safe space. So thank you for everybody who has been a part of this. Now, 
Valeria, is there anything that we have to promote for RC or OML within the next few weeks? Um, one thing that I do want to promote and that is a, an allocated safe space is that every Friday from 1 to 3 p.m., I will be holding Queer Craft Corner, which is just a space for everybody to come in. Uh, there is this week. Uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday, February 9th, and our next this episode will not go out until Monday, but uh, this week's project for Queer Craft Corner is making heart-shaped tea bags and just uh, coming in, having a talk, listening to music, just having a safe space via Zoom right now. We hope to have hybrid events in the future, possibly even within the next week. Be on the lookout for that on our Instagram or Facebook pages. And I will leave it to Validia for any other announcements. So we have OML's Lunar New Year celebration happening tomorrow from four to five at the OML house, I believe. Um, it's going to be a super fun time. I think there are, there are like dancers and stuff that Pauline had or had um, like hired. So super exciting time. Y'all should come out. Um, we also have our 3D topic discussion next week. Um, that will be on Wednesday from 6 to 6 to 8, I believe. So um, keep a lookout for advertisements on that. And I believe that is it for now. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, be on the lookout for OML and RSC stuff. Look out for our emails including the gay agenda and the multicultural agenda, our newsletters that have been going out and that have some people annoyed, which I love. It's fine. The gay agenda will live on. <laughs> but, yeah, they're so mad. <laughs> they're so mad. It's fine. But um, I also want to turn to our guests. If there's anything else that you would like to share or wrap up with, promote yourself. What are you doing? Practicum sucks. <laughs> or finding places. Just uh, anything that you would like to share. Well, definitely finding a practicum site sucks, but thank you guys so much for having us. Um, this has been wonderful to chat, and I look forward to uh, listening to your future pods. In the I have some shameless plugs. A sorority is doing a fundraiser called Sunny Sweethearts. Y'all should definitely buy tickets to buy. It's like we are like I guess like raffling off like a lunch date with one of the girls and we just like pay for like the meal if you want a free meal like just buy a ticket um I am participating yours truly so if you would like to buy a ticket for me or any other of the beautiful women that are participating please do um also shout out to women's rugby please come out to our home game happening in two weeks um against University of Reno so yeah it's gonna be a great game y'all should come out that's it I think it's like a 10 a.m on Bellamy Field so yeah that is all for me stay COVID safe Omicron is higher than uh, is making COVID higher and bigger and wider than it's ever been and just because it's quote-unquote less bad doesn't mean it can't kill people and SCU is not taking that seriously it's making us go back in person. I had an in-person class yesterday at the height of COVID. Why are we doing this? Stay COVID safe, people. Yes, please wear your mask, whether or not there is a mandate in California. 
please keep others people safe. Please wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Wear a mask and try not to form large groups. Please this campus. And also, if any, anybody on campus is listening, please be better at protecting us and validating us because we are not being heard and money should not be an object when it's against human lives. So thank you again, everybody that has joined us today. Um, it has been a really deep and very meaningful conversation and we hope to have you back sometime. You are welcome here anytime or you are welcome to just come hang out in the RC or the OML house anytime. All right, this has been another episode of Word on the Street and OML and RSC podcast. And thank you for listening. Bye.